Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. A number of American guests on this podcast have told me that Taiwan must be provided with a huge arsenal of deadly weapons, ready to use in a war against China if needed. Last year, the US Department of Defense authorized the sale to Taiwan of 60 Harpoon anti-ship missiles and 100 Sidewinder tactical air missiles. Ultimately, though, the decision to launch such rockets against Chinese targets rests not with the Americans, but with Taiwanese soldiers. Today, we'll consider how people on the front line feel about the prospect of war. Are they mentally prepared for a battle with China? Our guest on the podcast today has been to Taiwan in search of answers. He's Howard Zhang, editor of the BBC's Chinese service. Howard, welcome back to China in Context. Hi, Duncan. Now, can you start by telling us a little bit more about your recent trip to Taiwan and the people that you met there? Oh, of course. Uh, recently, because of the rising tensions across the street, and uh, people have all heard about multiple sorties per day of uh, mainland Chinese uh, fighter jets and uh, reconnaissance planes uh, crossing, crisscrossing the uh, Taiwan Strait. So because of the rising tension, the BBC, uh, including many of the English programs, as well as uh, the language, uh, Chinese language programs, decided to form a joint task force. We went to various parts of Taiwan to find out firsthand what exactly is happening, first of all. And are people worried? And what are people thinking? And my uh, direct line of kind of uh, inquiry is more into what the young people of Taiwan are thinking. Well, let's make those young people the focus of our conversation for a few minutes then. What did they say about their identity? Do they see themselves as being Taiwanese? Is there any sense in which they see themselves as being Chinese? If you're asking the present, the majority, this is a long-running survey uh, by the Duke University of the U.S. as well as a major university in Taipei, and uh, they've been surveying the Taiwanese population, all age groups, for the past 50, 60 years. And in the past few years, over 60, 70 percent of the population now directly identified themselves only as Taiwanese. This sort of uh, had a, a, a evolutionary track of at the beginning, the majority identified themselves as Chinese because of the Chinese cultural heritage and, uh, and also being citizen of Republic of China. And then in the 80s and 90s, with the detente and people start to uh, feel strongly to be more Chinese. And then with the worsening of relations, with the democratization of Taiwan, people start to re uh, find their own identity. But nowadays it's reverse. It's the majority, overwhelming majority, identifying themselves as Taiwanese. Um, I'm particularly interested to know, of course, how young people regard this issue of defense. Young men are obliged to join the army for a year because of a conscription system, aren't they? Yes. Besides the normal guests in the show we talk to, we also engage with lots of young people on the streets, corners, uh, you know, in restaurants, bars, you talk to them. The overwhelming feeling is people do not want to have a war, but the majority of people you talk to 
do say, you know, the moment if there is a war, if war is forced upon us, we want to fight for our current freedoms, the type of freedom and democracy Taiwan stands for now. And uh, they realize this is a lot more important than just save your life and run away. So they say that they would fight if there was a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. But how likely do they see the prospect of an invasion then? That's a big debate. And it depends on who you talk to. Again, there's a generational gap, I feel, when you go to Taiwan. When you talk to the slightly older generation, they themselves fled mainland China during the Civil War, the really older generation, or the second generation who still have lots of attachment to the mainland from the other provinces who migrated to Taiwan, or the local Taiwanese, you slightly get a nuanced picture, but most of the older generation do not really get that concerned, and some do. The younger generation also start to feel Yes, the, the tension is rising, but now we're getting international support, especially with the U.S. weighing in. And many do feel possibly, you know, this is just one of those things. If we get prepared, perhaps we'll have a less chance of actually seeing the war. What's been the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine on the mindset of the people in Taiwan? It really crystallizes the threat for uh, people and uh, lots of people before, uh, especially the ones with lots of attachment to the mainland, always thought there's possibly, and there's still a huge uh, contingent of uh, even politicians and uh, media people who argue, as long as just keep the dialogue open, you know, eventually there won't be a war. But more and more people after the Russian invasion realized, faced with a system that's autocratic, that does not really listen to its own people. And uh, so the risk factor is a lot higher. People do have that realization. And uh, there was one particular uh, entrepreneur and the tycoon I talked to, Mr. Robert Chow, and uh, he used to run factories, uh, silicon factories in China. When he realized there's no way you can deter China's eventual invasion unless you get prepared after the Ukraine war and the Hong Kong protest. He donated uh, $3 billion US dollars to a self-funded arms training <laughs> exercise in Taiwan. He was called, he's giving up his own money, calling up people to get trained. And uh, when I ask him, are you for real? Are you serious? Look at across the strait, they've got aircraft carriers, they've got tens of thousands of missiles. You, with $3 billion training people up with light arms, you think that's going to deter them from invading? And his answers was quite interesting, and that reflects a bit of uh, many people's uh, way of thinking. He said, ah, no, actually, I'm not here to get people ready for that type of fight. It's more mentally they have to realize aggression cannot be deterred by sitting back and hoping they will stop. You have to show them you will put up a fight. Then it's less likely for them in the long run to actually start the fight. So that, that was the type of thinking I, I start to detect when I talk to people in Taiwan now. Well, I think you're right about China increasing the profile of its uh, military projection towards Taiwan. Almost every day, Howard, when I look at TV, I see a, 
another clip about the People's Liberation Army Navy uh, sending a boat into the area. I mean, no wonder people are concerned. If you look at from Beijing's point of view, there's uh, fewer and fewer cards they could play to, I guess, win back Taiwanese popular opinion in any peaceful means now. And uh, if you look around all the Chinese language media, whether it's Taiwan, it's Hong Kong, it's mainland, or it's over worldwide, the Communist Party has huge influence over the majority of the Chinese language media, except some maybe in Taiwan who are vehemently opposed to them. But overall, they either bought them or, uh, you know, directly or indirectly controls the majority of Chinese language media worldwide. Uh, because of that, the influence, propaganda influence is huge. And even in Taiwan, many, especially the older generation who stuck in front of a TV all the time, sometimes do want to buy into that idea of somehow, if we just stay quiet and things won't happen. But one is the Ukraine war. And also before that was the Hong Kong protest did wake up lots of people. You touched earlier on the main geopolitical issue here, Howard, and that is that America sees Taiwan as a major non-NATO ally. What are the implications of that? Ever since the end of Cold War, this is, I guess, the clearest signal ever Washington has sent to Beijing uh, over its willingness to eventually intervene in any uh, attempt to take over Taiwan. President Biden twice openly said, we will defend Taiwan. Of course, then the uh, State Department right away (laughs) retracted a little bit. But even with those retractions, you know, most experts, I guess, would agree it's still unprecedented for one US president twice to come out and say, we will defend Taiwan definitively, (laughs) categorically. That that is, uh, you know, something I think it's a signal to Beijing. And also, besides the words. If you look back at the, the type of agreement, regional alliance agreement from AUKUS with Britain, Australia, to build uh, nuclear submarines, uh, non-nuclear, but uh, attack submarines for Australia to help fill the Pacific defense gap, to uh, and the defense, new defense uh, weapon systems uh, and treaties with Japan, and Japanese recent uh, announcement to double and it nearly double its defense budget, and then to Taiwan, and then to possibly uh, the Indo-Pacific Alliance and the Quad with India, you can see the US in its real actions forming a stronger and stronger first island chain defense system. That's a very interesting piece of analysis, Howard. I mean, let's talk about the Chinese side. The Chinese embassy in Washington has said that the Biden administration should scrap those arms sales to Taiwan. Um, And Xi Jinping, in his New Year message, talked about the people of Taiwan and the people of China as being part of the same family. So what's your interpretation of the Chinese perspective? They are trying to do what they can, I guess. On one side, they try to appeal to the U.S. side. Uh, because in the long run, I guess, it, it, it may not be in for any, oh, of course, this, this, is a, this is a slightly complicated argument because for most even sensible politicians, even in China, 
most understand they have so many domestic crises and other crises. It's not the time, the right time to even talk about the invasion of Taiwan. And uh, that aside, you know, it, it, it's easier to understand why they would try to keep the status quo as well. So US don't provoke things, don't give too much weapons to Taiwan so that we escalate the, uh, the tension. At the same time, they try to appeal to some Taiwanese. Okay, we're the same family, we're in a brotherly debate, similar to the Ukraine-Russian debate. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, you know, you do have a system like in Russia. Nowadays, it's no longer a, a, a oligarchical uh, structure. It's, it's absolute autocratic one-man rule now. In Russia, it's Putin and nobody else. And in China, it's Xi Jinping and nobody else. Because of that, it, it all depends on the judgment of one person. So that just adds so much uncertainty. Well, lastly, let's talk about the direction of travel for China-US relations. I mean, I have noticed that there's been a bit more dialogue since uh, Xi Jinping met Joe Biden in Bali last year. In some ways, that might signal that the relationship has warmed a bit, but they're still very much at loggerheads in other areas. One, of course, is America's decision to ban the sale of advanced semiconductors to China. And the other, as we've been discussing, is the status of Taiwan. Do you think there's a connection between those two issues? Absolutely. Taiwan is a, uh, as many Chinese officials and uh, past leaders, current leaders always stated, is the number one issue between US and China, because it's the only unsettled issue since World War II. And, uh, at the end of World War II, the Republic China lost the majority of mainland to the communist government. And without the US protection, Taiwan may or may not have existed this long. So US protection and the US presence in the wider Asia Pacific or now Indo-Pacific area was the only guarantee for the so-called current status quo. For the Chinese, they'd love to see the US influence weighing so they can gain this new foothold. And for the US, this is, goes back to the similar to Cold War mentality now. If you allow this one domino to fall. What next? Well, thank you, Howard, for that very lively explanation of your recent trip to Taiwan. That was Howard Zhang, China editor at the BBC. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.